and hello sports fans of the Rio Grande Valley and welcome to another episode of the South Texas Border Sports Podcast. This is season two episode 37. We are live here in far Texas where my home studio is based out of. Uh, today's guest uh, you may might have heard of him, might have not. Uh, he is the full editor of the Extra Points blog. I I have called one Twitter user Lord USL Leaker. This man here has earned the title of Lord NCAA Leaker of some sort. And why do I say this? because he has been able to find a lot of tidbits on the, on the smaller and bigger portions of NCAA Division I schools. And he has a great, great newsletter that goes out weekly. And if you're a subscriber, well, you get the premium beefy stuff. I would like to introduce to my crowd today, Mr. Matt Brown. Matt Thank you for coming along. It is a privilege to have you on. How are you today? It is, it is my pleasure. I'm, I'm, I'm happy to be on here. I appreciate all the kind words. I'm doing my best to uh, create a newsletter that, that is entertaining and that's interesting and is, is digging in and sharing stories about, I, I think, some really important and worthwhile institutions in part of the country that sometimes get a little bit overlooked. And that, that's led me a little bit to the Western Athletic Conference. It's led me to the big sky and the a sun and, and many other leagues and I'm, I'm happy to keep doing it absolutely and you know let's dive right into western athletic conference what led you to to dive into the western athletic conference and some of the more interesting stories of of all of college sports you know uh, basically this conference uh started falling off at the beginning of the decade and then by the middle of the decade, it was able to recover and start and starting to pick up some, uh, yeah, I, I guess, some misfit toys from the Great West Conference, if you take it a little further back. So uh, how did this just get along here, just gets, get everything put into pieces into play? Sure. You know, what, a big part of my newsletter of, of Extra Points is to examine how an athletic department fits together with the greater university and what that university wants to achieve. And I think when we look at greater college sports media, a lot of that national energy is typically focused into schools like my alma mater. I'm from, I grew up in Columbus and I went to Ohio State or Texas or Alabama. And those are great programs. They produce great teams, they're very interesting, but there's only, there's not that many Texases. There's not that many Ohio States. There's a lot more universities that serve different populations and have different missions and different problems than Texas. And I'm always interested in how schools navigate those problems and achieve their goals if they don't have unlimited resources, if they don't have 120 years of high level athletic tradition. And that, you know, I, I think that interest level attracted me to the WAC, right? This is a conference that you're right, a decade ago was left for dead. Uh, when I worked for SB Nation, which was my employer before I started Extra Points, I think I even wrote a story or two about kind of you know, pre-writing the death of this league because there was a minute where we thought Chicago State was going to close. We thought New Mexico State was going to leave this league a couple of different times and it wasn't going to work. And now 
Um, not only has the league survived, but I think it's in a position to thrive. Now with, with this new expansion, it has a new geographic identity and it's bringing in not just a bunch of, I think, really dynamic schools and not just larger schools, but schools that are well positioned to be really healthy for the next 10 to 15 years, right? You look at UTRGV, this school has 30,000 students, you know, and, and this is a great, you know this way better than I do. This is a growing, this is an important, it's an underserved, not just part of Texas, but Latino sports fans in this country in general are, are underserved. I and mean, this is one of the, the largest Latino serving universities in the entire country to say nothing of, of division one. You look at Dixie State, which, you know, when I was a kid, that was a, that was a junior college. Um, Utah Valley was a junior college, and now it's the largest university in the state. So this is a, I'm interested in transformation stories. The WAC is a transformation story. Most of these schools are transformation stories, and I'm interested to see where they go from here. Well, you touched on one school in particular, and which is where we will be focusing this podcast, UTRGV. Now, I can predate myself to 2000 when I was just a teenager. It was in a sorrow state to say. I mean, independence was not a fun thing for that university at the time. And even multiple ADs uh, right in the middle of the 2000s, okay? Uh, you had Car uh, President uh, you had Scott Street, you had interim Ricky Vaughn, uh, Chris King when he came in towards the, the later part of it. And he and Chris King was the one who jumpstarted, uh, well, not jumpstarted to get back then UTPA into the WAC, but ushered in the UTRGV era in the WAC, which was, which is now five, six years old now. And now the talk of getting in some football now when two decades ago like why don't we start football like whoa 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 like hey right now we have a crippling crisis here we have uh things that were not aligned according to ncaa uh you have a little bit more of there was just this whole transformation process before trying to become what UTRGV is now. And I just wanted to get your thoughts. How far back did UTRGV initiated these talks for football until we get to the point where we're at today, where it's basically left up to a student vote in November the 8th through the 10th to say yay or nay to football? You know, so as I understand it, um, and, and you may know better than I about what, you know, what these conversations looked like prior to 2016. When I first became aware of them was when the university announced they were going to conduct a feasibility study. They were going to bring in this, this big committee. You're going to have Oliver Luck be involved and Mac Brown. And I think more importantly, a, a, a big collection of civic and business, political and educational leaders all throughout the valley. And they produced a, a, a big report, which I have on my computer. I've read it a couple of times. And you know, in 2016, 2017, the, the report was saying, I was like, listen, the important constituencies on this campus want football. Faculty want football, students want football, the political leadership in, in, in Brownsville and in McAllen and some of these other places, they want football too. Um, we have two concerns. We're not sure exactly how we're gonna pay for it and we're not sure where we're gonna play. And that initial feasibility study, if I remember correctly, 
was was honestly arguing for FBS and, and saying this, you know, here's what we need to do in order to join the Sun Belt. We need to, um, you know, either enter in an uh, agreement here with HEB Park or we need to build our own stadium that's going to seat 30,000 people. And we need to, you know, to spend X amount of money. And my understanding is that at that point, the you know, senior highest level of university leadership said, you know, right now, it's more important for us to use these resources on our medical school and on uh, medical research and on, on, on non-athletic facilities uh, at that particular time. You have a new athletic director, you have some turnover, and now more importantly, you have a conference home for football, which, you know, the, the, back in 2016, a whack football at the FCS level was like a message board fever dream. It wasn't something that was that was realistic and you know, joining the Southland wasn't necessarily realistic then either. So now they're like, okay, well, we can start a team. We don't have to spend as much money as we thought we did back in 2016. We think we have the facility situation resolved because we have stadiums we don't have to build from scratch in both cities. And we are a more financially stable where we can start a women's swimming and diving program and we can do other facilities. Now it's much more possible. Um, and, and quite frankly, like, I think I, if, if this vote passes, and I would be sympathetic to whatever the students decide, I think there's reason to be optimistic that this could be more than just a football team, but potentially a pretty good football team and one that really is a cultural uh, institution throughout the whole valley. Now, just based on all the research that you've done and just seen, uh, just putting everything into a context, my I guess my number one question would be, besides all the feasibility and the numbers behind it, uh, you mentioned FBS Sunbelt. Uh, I know that's a little too far-fetched right now, only because it's 30,000 students. Is FBS more, uh, FCS more attainable right now in the near future instead of FBS? Right now, I would say FCS makes the most sense. The, 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 the thing about FCS football is that your costs are lower at basically every level. You don't need to fund 85 scholarships. You don't need to pay your head coach a million dollars. You can get a good FCS football coach probably for 250,000. You can, you don't have to have the same army of analysts and you don't have to sponsor the same number of women's sports or the same amount of athletic department infrastructure as you do FBS. And all of UTRGV's now whack peers in the state of Texas, whether that's Tarleton or Lamar or Sam Houston, schools that I think have some things in common here, they're in the same boat. You know, it, it, it's not exactly a state secret here. The folks at Sam Houston or Abilene Christian would like to be FBS institutions. Um, but in order to get to that point, you have to be able to master being an FCS program. And I'm not just talking about on the field and winning eight games and making the playoffs but about graduating athletes and about balancing your budget and about uh, selling season ticket sponsor packages and sponsorships and all of the other behind the scenes stuff. That, that's what I cover, right? That's like, that, that's my newsletter. If you're asking me to break down the depth chart of Sam Houston and, and forecast a game, I can't help you, my friend. Like I'll direct you to, <laughs> to your local beat writer. If you want me to go through the financial disclosures report or how they're trying to raise money or what that means for their student demographics, I'm your huckleberry. Like that's, that's what I write about. Um, the, the, the big question right now, and I've heard this from several athletic directors in this conference, is let's say we want to become an FBS school. What, is, what happens with the college football playoff? And more importantly, what happens with the revenue sharing 
from that new contract. You're going to have a new deal in 2025, 2026. Uh, are there other conferences going to be obligated to share money with the WAC if we jump up or the ASUN? Are we going to be locked out of that deal? And that's really important because, you know, depending on, on the financial value of that contract or how it's negotiated, that might mean you could make a lot more money in the FBS, even if you suck. Um, and conversely, you might be able to sell enough tickets, um, but you might not have bowl access. You might not have that revenue sharing. And no one I've talked to right now, including commissioners of these leagues, knows for sure. So what I think I, I, I would tell for any fan of a WAC school is you want to put yourself in, in a position to make that jump if an opportunity avails itself. But we don't know if there's going to be an opportunity in 2030. All you can really worry about right now is building the best FCS level football experience you possibly can. And if the community leaders and the political leaders and the business leaders in the Valley say, we want to stand behind a football program and they're willing to put their money where their mouth is, I think it could be very successful no matter what classification. As I'm being joined by Matt Brown of the Extra Point uh, blog, I got to ask you, you know, you've seen, you've seen the numbers, you've, you, you studied, you've talked to multiple people. FCS right now is just that much more reachable at this point. And you've seen, and you've seen all the studies behind it. Would it be safe that once the WAC reaches its level number to kind of like break away from the ASUN because I know the ASUN has their own plan where they want to get a handful of people and start out their own football pro uh, football conference of their own. Um, at what point does the WAC just continue to just operate just independently without having that thought of going FBS in that new in that near future? And the second question on top of that, what happens to New Mexico State? being that they're the lone FBS independent. You know, so right now, I, I think for everybody, it's the status quo. You, you, there are some schools in the WAC right now that are better positioned to potentially be FBS schools in the near future than others. Like, do I think Sam Houston could, could make that jump and be a competitive Sunbelt program relatively quickly? Yeah, I think so. Could Southern Utah or Dixie State no, absolutely not. Like they're, they're, they're right now, they're kind of overgrown high school athletic departments. So they have a decade to decide if they want to get to that level. And I you know UTRGV, I think, will be in, will be in a similar a similar boat. Um, the WAC can kind of divorce itself from the ASUN for scheduling purposes once they have enough teams that have completed their reclassification to Division One to earn an auto bid. And you, we don't really know when exactly that's going to happen because we don't know when the ASUN is going to add another team or teams. They are trying to do so right now. That's taken a little bit longer than they had hoped. We don't know if the WAC is going to add another FCS team to that lineup. Maybe it's McNeese. Maybe it's some team we don't know about yet um, that might allow them to reclassify. But like, I would not get too hung up about whether we're all going to be FBS in six years or eight years or anything because honestly the people in this league right now they can't control that all they can control is can we what can we do to make the best fcs football possible um they're in a position to do that well we'll see what happens over the next couple of years what about losing pot uh, potential current members like say for example a new mexico state or a seattle which is the most uh geographically outliner uh team to this point 
Sure. And, and, and honestly, Seattle isn't just an outlier geographically. It's an outlier institutionally. There's a lot of public schools in this league. Most of them have enrollments of over 15,000. And Seattle is a relatively small private Jesuit school. So it's, it's a different kind of institution. The, you know, what people within the WAC have told me is they don't think the final chapter of this league has been written. With the, with the expansion of the Texas Four and the addition of Southern Utah gives them is an institutional, as a league-wide identity to be able to make other changes if they have to. Is it possible now that BYU is leaving the, the WCC that that league could potentially try to add Seattle or Grand Canyon or Cal Baptist for that matter? Sure, that's possible. Um, it's possible. Uh, I think it's unlikely, but it's possible that New Mexico State gets added to the Mountain West or Conference USA or some other FBS league. Uh, those are all contingencies. I think there's there's a there's a list of schools that I know that would love to join the WAC if a spot opened up. Some of them are in Division Two. Uh, some of them might still be in Division One. Um, and and we'll just kind of see. Like if if there's three spots that are opened up and the WAC has to go grab Incarnate Word or Augustana or some other team, they're going to be able to do it. They can they can they can add now from a position of strength and a position of fit rather than a position of desperation, which is, I think, what the, how the league was operating over the previous decade. Absolutely. And one of the schools that left uh, once UTRGV slash UTPA joined was Idaho. Boy, talk about, like, taking a desperation move uh, that just kind of, like, felt right for them, but at the same time it felt wrong. It felt wrong because, you know, they were – that they had FBS football and they dropped down to FCS. In retrospect, do you think they kind of jumped the gun a little early for them? I, I don't think so. I, I think that was a reclassification decision that was based on a bunch of different factors. And even if they, you know, if they joined the WAC or they remained FBS on, on some other level, I don't think those problems would have gone away. They're still facing enormous travel problems. They, this is a school that, that isn't really interested or able to to keep up with the, the rising costs of FBS football. Um, they paid a price. The, the president who led that reclassification change, he's not there anymore. Uh, a lot of people in that athletic department have turned over and they haven't really seen a lot of success at the big sky level. But I'm not sure that anything would have really been different had, had they hung on. It's, it's difficult when you're in Moscow and you have a weird football stadium and you don't have a, a ton of history or, or really natural FBS rivals. Um, I, I, I still think they made the right decision, even if maybe they won't see the benefits from that decision for a few more years. All right. Uh, now, just jumping right back to the uh, UTRGV conversation real quick. Uh, you know, one of the things that you found out was trying to play in two different venues, uh, obviously trying to attract both crowds, uh, uh, which is from a town east of me called Brownsville, which is about an hour away, and then you have Edinburgh to kind of, uh, you know, appease both sides of the valley. What were you able to find out in those studies that, hey, we also got to cater to these guys too, because one of the, I guess the main mantra for the athletics department would be rally the valley, to, uh, the slogan for for now. Uh, what what did you see in, in, in your studies? Like, hey, how do we get these Brownsville guys involved? Besides taking a, a basketball showcase to South Padre Island, tennis events, maybe your golf events, and, and, and so on and so forth. 
Yeah, the what part of what's so unique to me about this school is that yeah, they're that you're right. They are really trying to be an institution that unites this entire area. And that's that's not just Brownsville, that's McAllen, that's Mission, that's Edinburgh, that's South Padre, that's all these places there in between. Because like there's like a million and a half people that, that live in this region. They don't really have uh, easy access to um, professional sports uh, by and large. They don't have access to a lot of other, you know, like major power conference sports. This is, I, as my understanding, this is a this is a part of Texas that is really invested in high school football. That's really that's invested in the sporting options that they have. And in order for this to be successful, it's got to be something for everybody. And so you have this unique challenge where you are trying to really kind of kind of meld together two different campuses. And so, you know, their athletic director was saying, listen, we're going to have free shuttles that go between both campuses all the time, because you might have students that take campuses in both in both locations. They're going to do events in both places. And we're going to have two different marching bands. We're going to have uh, two different stadiums. Like I, I, I want to say that they're looking at potentially playing at a, a refurbished high school stadium in, in Brownsville and then HEB Park where the soccer team plays. Uh, in, in Edinburgh, and and the look at the look at some other some other uh, some other options, and this isn't unheard of. Um, historically, in the SEC, it would be pretty common for teams to play a couple of home games a year in a different stadium. Arkansas, I think, still does this. They play one game a year in Little Rock. They also play in the Dallas Metroplex because that's where Arkansas fans live. Um, and if you don't have to build a new stadium in either location, you 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 can do that. Uh, it, it it speaks to a logistical challenge of this athletic department, but I would imagine like, look, they're gonna try to go on tour basically. And what, not just what athletic events can we have all over the valley, like the South Padre basketball showcase, I think is a good example. But what can we do to make sure that UTRGV academically and culturally and institutionally is a part of people's lives, no matter where they live around here. And we wanna make it easy for people to get to where we are if they live somewhere else. That's a, that's a, that's a difficult challenge, but it's the one that this university is embracing right now. You know, just being uh, just being a resident here of the area for such a long time, you know, uh, when I saw this, the UTPA days uh, before merging into UTRGV days, I kind of felt, felt a little hopeless for a long time, you know, because not only was it coming off the, uh, I mean, I grew in straight to the, Sunbelt expulsion where they had all sorts of NCAA violations. Uh, you know, we even, they even brought in someone from UTSA to try to get us into the Southland. That was rejected big time. And then it tried getting into the Southland one more time uh, before those doors were shut down. And then WAC just opened, opened its doors to bring in all these other Great West institutions like your Utah Valleys, uh, UTPAs, uh, your um, uh, Chicago States, and then they picked up uh, Bakersfield along the way, CSU Bakersfield. And I guess we're, we are at where we're at today uh, with, the, uh, with the Western Athletic Conference. I think there's, there's a lot of reason to be optimistic. Right, like none of this is a sure thing. I mean, the, the students could decide to vote this down, uh, as students have done for other uh, fee increases, and I, I don't think anybody could get angry about that if that's what happened. Um, it's still a hard job, right? Like, yeah. you know, they're, they're not going to come in here and be able to drop eight hundred thousand dollars on a football coach. They're not. 
this is this is still going to be a, you know kind of building from a budget. This is not a part of Texas where the richest tech tech companies are located. This is not the place where people are dropping you know the, the biggest bags. And so it may still be a while before you're a playoff team or or before you know you reach some of these other goals. But I think you can feel excited over the last 15 years. Like, look, not only do we have a stable conference home, not only do we have like a geographic identity. We have a school identity. We know where we are. We're kind of we, we melded all of these things here together, um, and this is this is a, a place where a certain kind of person really wants to work. You know, one one of the things that was really interesting to me when I was talking to your AD is he was telling me that unlike a lot of other regional public schools, especially in Texas, almost everybody when they graduate from this school they stay in the valley. They don't they don't move to San Antonio. They don't move to Austin. They don't move to Tulsa. They stay here. Um, and, you know, where I live in Illinois, if you graduate from Southern Illinois, you're not staying in Carbondale, <laughs> you're getting the hell out and you're, you're going to a city or you're going somewhere else. So if you're keeping the people that are most invested in your school local, you have an opportunity, I think, to be able to do some pretty special things. And where, where I get excited is because I look at this as not just an athletic story, but potentially a, an academic and an economic and a cultural story. Like what, how can this university impact the lives of people in numerous communities in this area. And the football team could be an extension of that. I think that's worth getting excited over. Absolutely. And Matt, I just want to thank you so much uh, for your time and efforts and just give everyone your social media handles where uh, I'm pretty sure you've gained a handful of followers from the Rio Grande Valley and other places uh, from from across the United States as you like kind of dig out all these interesting nuggets about conference realignment. Yeah, yeah, thank you. I mean, hopefully it's not just realignment, but it's also, you know, how, how schools meet challenges and how they do things that are different, right? Like, I mean, I, I'm, a, I'm a Brazilian American. There's not a whole lot of other Brazilians out there, but there's not a ton of other universities that are like, listen, we are here to serve Latinos. When you watch a college football game, sometimes you see a Mexican-American kicker or Brazilian-American kicker or Peruvian kicker, but you don't see a whole lot of other Latino athletes. So when I see another school that's like, listen, our, our identity is to serve people from the, the Hube ancestry from South America and from Central America and from Mexico. That's exciting to me, right? Like it, it's easy, I think, for you know, those students and those athletes to feel invisible in, in college sports. Um, and, and I think there are similar stories for other schools in this league. Um, you can find me on Twitter at Matt Brown EP, uh, and you can subscribe to Extra Points. You can read it for free. You get two newsletters a week. That's at extrapointsmb.com. You can get access to every newsletter. There's four a week. Includes some original reporting, some detailed analysis about everything in college athletics. You can get that for just eight bucks a month. That's at extrapointsmb.com. Many thanks to Matt Brown for joining us today. I hope you come back soon and listen to a lot of our other previous versions of our podcast. Thanks for listening. Hello, sports fans. Thanks for listening to another episode of the South Texas Border Sports Podcast. This is your host, Ray Silva. Be tuned next week for another great episode as we drop podcasts every Monday here on anchor.fm forward slash STBS. Don't forget, our podcast can also be found via Google Podcast, Apple iTunes, and Spotify. Thanks for listening. <laughs>